Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, the most trusted name in certified organic clean food. When you shop online at EdenFoods.com, enter the coupon code ORGVIEW to receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases. For other promotional offers, please visit TheOrganicView.com's website. And don't forget to check out our contest section. On today's show, we have an interesting development that Tom is going to talk about concerning Boulder County and the use of GMOs on public land. Also, we have some exciting news in Maryland about a partial ban on neonicotinoids. But first, I'd like to welcome to the show Colorado beekeeper Tom Theobald. Good afternoon, Tom. Good afternoon, June. We're uh, about to have a snowstorm. The bees have been bringing in a lot of pollen the last few days, but that'll... uh come to an end now today and probably for another two or three days and then we'll be back into springtime well here in new york we are definitely celebrating spring the the temperatures have been fantastic and we're starting to see a lot of flowering a lot of flowers out there i still have yet to see the first dandelion but i've seen crocus i've seen daffodils i've seen a lot of other flowers but the dandelion for me is always the first sign that Spring has officially sprung. Well, that dandelions are a very significant crop for the bees and the beekeepers, too, because it really signifies the end of winter for us. It's the first major pollen and nectar source of the season. And if we have a good dandelion bloom, to the frustration of the bluegrass farmers who don't want them in their lawns, if we have a good dandelion bloom, it, it sets the bees off to a good start. What I have seen is a bunch of new commercials for Monsanto's Roundup, and I am always amused by their commercials because what's interesting is that there are so many people who actually purchase dandelion greens in the supermarket and buy dandelion tea because of the medicinal and health benefits that are offered by the dandelion. And it's just interesting that so many people go nuts when they see a dandelion in the lawn, but yet it's something that can really help with a lot of different health issues that people are experiencing. In any event, I want to talk about what's going on in Boulder. This is so disturbing. Tom, can you just take a moment and share with our listeners that are not aware of what's been going on with this whole controversy in Boulder how this came about and what the new decision is, or has, or was, should I say? About seven years ago, there was a concern raised about the growing of genetically modified crops, corn at that time, on land that is owned by the citizens, county-owned land, agricultural land. I think it was uh, 2001, 2003, when the county had granted some of the farmers who leased that land permission to grow genetically modified corn. A lot of people were concerned about that, and about seven years ago, we began to focus on that question. 
convened a committee that examined all aspects of the question over a two-year period, and it culminated in a marathon public hearing that lasted for like 10 hours. And uh, the decision, one of the outcomes was the county cropland policy, and uh, another was to grant permission to grow the genetically modified crops, but it specified many things that were to be addressed, one of which was to pursue a transition away from genetically modified crops, and it was to be reviewed in five years, that decision. And here we are at the five-year point. On February 29th, we had another of these marathon public hearings, lasted for about uh, nine hours, and the testimony was two to one against the growing of genetically modified crops on county land. Then just uh, the day before yesterday, the what's called POSAC, uh, the Parks and Open Space Advisory Committee, which advises the county commissioners who are the head of our form of government, on issues of this matter, they had a meeting which ran from 6.30 until almost 10 o'clock, and it didn't take public testimony, but they discussed it among themselves. It was open to the public, and in the end, the motion was made and a vote was taken, and the vote was uh, 5 to 3 to extend the uh, permission to grow genetically modified crops for another five years. The uh, the meeting was preceded with a presentation by Boulder County Parks and Open Space, which is that county agency responsible for the management of agricultural land. And uh, it's hard to tell whether it was well-intentioned or, or naive or manipulative or it, it relied heavily on advice from the EPA, the USDA, and CSU, and unfortunately, those agencies are at the heart of these problems. And so the county is either intentionally or unintentionally misinformed, and in turn are misinforming uh, POSAC. Now POSAC has taken a vote, five to three, and this afternoon at four o'clock, the commissioners have their meeting, and they discuss all the evidence that's been submitted, the written evidence, the oral evidence from the hearing, the POSAC recommendation, and they will arrive at a decision, perhaps not today, but shortly. And they will have to decide whether to extend the permission to grow genetically modified crops on county land or not, or some modification of that. So that will take place at 4 o'clock this afternoon. I plan to be there and listen, and uh, I'm sure we'll have more to say next week. Tom, is there any representation from the organic farming community at any of these meetings? Well, yes, yes, there is, but an underrepresentation, I think, compared to what happened five years ago. The, the organic community was much more directly involved five years ago, and I think, I'm guessing here, but I think they're just very discouraged with the way these questions are being treated. Uh, 
Um, for whatever reason, I think the organic community was underrepresented. But one of the criticisms that I had of the POZAC meeting was that a great deal of time was spent talking about organic agriculture and whether or not there had been gains made and how the county had supported it or not supported it. And I think it was a waste of time because the question before the commissioners has nothing to do with organic agriculture, however important that may be in, in these issues. It had, has nothing to do with organic agriculture. The question is whether or not genetically modified crops should be grown on citizen-owned land. And I, I think this is one of the ways that the issue has been confused. Again, I don't know if it's intentional or unintentional, but um, organic agriculture is not the issue here. Well, if you take a look at what Jim Gerritsen from Ascada, which is Organic Seed Growers Trade Association, has been through in his legal suits against Monsanto and for the protection of organic farmers, basically an organic farm that becomes contaminated with the GMO seeds, with the GMO crop, once it's contaminated, they basically have no leg to stand on. So I disagree with you, Tom. I think this has everything to do with organic agriculture. And if you look at all the different lawsuits that Jim Gerritsen has been involved with and all the things that he's fought for, along with many organic farmers, this has everything to do with protecting organic oh, agriculture. You misunderstand me, June. It's not that I don't think that organic agriculture is an important part of this question. What I'm saying is the direct question that's before the county commissioners is whether or not genetically modified crops should continue to be grown on citizen-owned land. Okay, They're not considering anything about organic agriculture. This is a question of genetically modified crops. So I'm not dismissing organic agriculture. I think it's very important, and I think we need to devote attention to it and encourage it. But it's not the matter that's before the commissioners at this point. But when you take a look at the impact on organic agriculture, that's why it becomes an important issue to discuss. I understand what you're saying, but I'm just I'm just trying to reinforce the fact that Organic agriculture is basically the reason why they should not be allowing GMOs on public land. But furthermore, when it comes to this technology, this GMO technology, the fact that it is the companion technology to neonicotinoids is a big concern to people such as yourself. What has been the response from the beekeeping community? Interesting. Um at some points, uh, concern at the public hearing, there was a good representation by the beekeepers. At the uh, POZAC hearing Tuesday evening meeting, it wasn't a hearing, meeting, uh, there were two beekeepers, myself and one other. I want to get back to the organic agriculture thing because we have a, a very special problem here in the West. The neonicotinoids, which are wedded to the genetically engineered crops, are long-lasting and migrate readily with the groundwater because they're water-soluble and they contaminate the soils. And 
that's a special problem here in the West where we only get about half of the rainfall that we need to grow a crop. The other half comes from irrigation water. It's that snowpack that I see from my west window in the mountains to the west of us. That's going to be the summer's irrigation water. Now, what ha what happens there is the irrigation water can readily accelerate the the distribution of these chemicals, and it gets right to what you're talking about, June, which is what if I'm an organic farmer and I'm using irrigation water that's come through two or three farming operations upstream from me and has been contaminated with these neonicotinoids. We have a very special problem here in the West, and it's not being addressed as it should be, in my view at least. You know, Tom, the water issue is a huge concern, and once again, people still don't have any idea what they're in for when it comes to the contamination of our water. What's interesting is is that in the more recent news, the water crisis in Flint, Michigan, has created such an uproar, has been an issue that's been addressed in the U.S. presidential campaign, but yet nothing has been said about the contamination of our drinking water because of the use of neonicotinoids. So as you mentioned, the farmers that are using this water to irrigate their crops what exactly are they in for? How is that going to affect their ability to grow crops? Well, we have a special situation in the West in that we get about half the natural rainfall that we need to grow a crop. The other half comes from irrigation water, which is the snowpack stored in the winter. And if I'm a, an organic farmer and I'm downstream from two or three conventional farming operations, and the neonicotinoids, which are the companion technology of genetically engineered crops, have contaminated the groundwater. The question is, is my land now contaminated when I use that water? And we really haven't looked very carefully at that. The county was directed to do those kinds of soil and water samplings five years ago. And at the presentation Tuesday evening, it appears that they squandered away about four of those years, and they have only preliminary data at this point. They've done a little bit in the preceding year, but they really have failed in their responsibilities to answer the very questions that you raise, and it's of great concern. It's certainly of great concern to the beekeepers. We've seen horrible losses. I... at not long ago, was the leading beekeeper in Boulder County, or one of the leading beekeepers in Boulder County. I have now been whittled down to about 10% of what I had just a few years ago, and I'm on death's door, quite frankly. It just seems to be a little disturbing that they're very quick to make a decision that can have such a, a dire environmental impact. And this is something that isn't new. We're reading about it in other countries, in other parts of the world, but yet when it comes to the United States, we seem to be more focused on what serves industry instead of what actually serves the people as well as the environment. And I think it is a gross negligence by the agencies that are responsible for protecting the environment 
to take a step towards industry instead of taking a step towards protecting the environment, which should be paramount. Well, this is market protection, not environmental protection. And it's been going on for decades. And until the people become aware of how they've been misled and have been poisoned directly and indirectly, nothing is likely to change because uh, profit is addictive. It's a very powerful motivator, and it's the profit motive that's driving this. This is a, a common industrial technique of externalizing their costs. And we've said before, I know I've said more than once, that if you took into account the environmental damages that are being incurred because of the widespread use of these poisons, these billion-dollar products would not be nearly so profitable or would be unprofitable. How many billions of dollars is it going to take to restore the environment, if that's even possible? The environmental damages from these technologies, however more bushels or pounds or whatever they may have gained, the environmental damages have been beyond comprehension. What's interesting is that this is passing just as something that's been more commonly referred to as the Dark Act, which basically would prevent Americans from knowing what's in their food. It has to do with the labeling. I know that the Organic Consumers Association has done a lot of work advocating against this bill from being passed. It's just interesting that you see in Boulder County that they're approving GMOs for public land, but yet, according to so many different groups, the American public does not want GMOs. Nobody wants GMOs other than industry because they're the ones who stand to lose the most, and that's profit. Well, industry has more representation than we do. That's at the heart of the problem. I, I think back to a comment made by my good friend, Paul Hendricks, who passed away a couple of years ago. I sure wish Paul was here to share this battle. But many, many years ago, we one of the first major battles that we fought was with a product called Encapsulated Parathion, brand name Pencacum. And at that time, Paul frequently would say that their attitude was just shut up and eat your pesticides. And that seems to be the attitude even today. The Dark Act is a good example of that. They don't want us to know what's in that food because many people would choose not to use it. Uh, Hershey's, I believe, has recently switched away from, from uh, beet sugar, is it? In any event, they've shifted away from sugar of GMO, GE origin. They're concerned, and I think there will be more of that. But the poisoning will continue. We talked about it last week. I think there are strong parallels between the lead poisoning that we're seeing in Flint and the possible consequences of the widespread exposure of the population to these neonicotinoids. we found that there's no safe dose, that the effect is cumulative and irreversible, and although mammals, humans, have fewer of the target synapses, 
the latency is just going to be a little longer for people. If insects have a lot of these synapses and react quickly, how long will it take for humans to react? What will we be telling people five years from now, ten years from now? What will we tell our children? I've raised that question more than once. I think we have a moral obligation to address these questions, and it's an embarrassment that Congress can not do more than it has. Well, we're basically doing what we did to the generations that are experiencing the aftermath of DDT. You were looking at so many veterans that are unable to get the medical help that they need because of greed. People that are in positions of power that are denying these people the help that they need. And it just goes on and on. It doesn't matter what the chemical is. It just seems as though we keep repeating history, and that's got to stop. But when it comes to this subject, the impact of how neonicotinoids are going to affect us, the one thing that we do know for sure is that the damage is cumulative and it is irreparable. So Flint, Michigan is really a very big red flag that I hope it raises this very subject, the issues in this subject of the impact of neonicotinoids as far as what we can expect with our own drinking water. Because at the end of the day, we only have so much water that we can consume. What are we going to do when everything is so contaminated that we have to import water from other countries? Our society is not going to be able to sustain itself. We're not going to be able to exist the way that we have for so many generations. So that's a very big issue. Moving on to the next subject, in Maryland, we actually have some very positive news, and they are pushing through a partial ban on neonicotinoids. It's Senate Bill 0198. I just want to take a moment and read the synopsis. It says, prohibiting a person from selling at retail in the state on or after January 1st, 2018, a neonicotinoid pesticide, unless the person also sells a restricted-use pesticide, prohibiting a person from using a neonicotinoid pesticide on or after January 1st, 2018, unless the person is a certified applicator or working under the supervision of a certified applicator, a farmer, or working under the supervision of a farmer who uses the product for specified purposes or a veterinarian providing the act does not apply to a specified pet care products, etc. This is a very interesting inclusion, the fact that specified pet care products are included. I wonder, when it comes to the use of these chemicals in the flea and tick products, what happens when the animal defecates and urinates? Are the chemicals then released in, back into the environment? Well, quite likely. And I, I uh, read the uh, the bill briefly, and there's another exception that jumped out at me, and that is that the use indoors for pest control is excluded from this restriction. In other words, if you contract with a pest control outfit, they they may very well come in and use one of these neonicotinoid products to control ants or bed bugs or whatever insect it is, uh, 
termites is a major application. Uh, that's a that's a loophole that you could drive a truck through. Basically, what's being done here is they've taken the neonicotinoids and put them into the category of reduced. Uh, in other words, they're restricted. It's a restricted use pesticide, which means that you have to have an applicator's license, somewhat of a formality. And if you were uh, someone who was going to use these on a regular basis, you could get this license to use these restricted-use pesticides. It's just one more restriction as opposed to being uh, openly available in the hardware stores and the big box stores. New York did that with one of the first uh, neonicotinoids right in your area on Long Island. That's what raised the question. And they made imidacloprid a restricted-use pesticide. And when clothianidin came along, New York declined to even register it. So New York has taken that line long ago, and Maryland now is doing the same, it appears. I'm optimistic that this is a step in the right direction, and personally, I think that it needs to come down to each individual state because at the federal level, EPA is doing nothing, as we've seen time and time again. So. I hope that we continue to see progress. Tom, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to continue with our discussion about the impact of neonicotinoids. And, you know, once again, to be continued, we'll see just what happens next week. Well, next week we should have a better idea of what the Boulder County commissioners have decided on the uh, the growing of genetically engineered crops on citizen-owned land. That's 4 o'clock this afternoon, not far away. Thanks, June. I'm going to go out and see if it's uh, there's enough snow to shovel yet. Well, on that note, thanks, Tom. And folks, have a very happy St. Patrick's Day, whether you're Irish or not. And tune in next week as Tom and I continue the discussion. Have a great afternoon. 